From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for making Washington Watch part of your day. Well, coming up on this Tuesday edition, the drumbeat is growing louder for possible impeachment hearings for Attorney General Merrick Garland. Yesterday, I laid out very, very clearly by July 6th, because of the allegations from the IRS, because of the whistleblowers and the DOJ, are, are Garland, what he is saying and what David Weiss are saying privately are two different things. Right. And if it comes true what the IRS whistleblower is saying, we're going to start impeachment inquiries on the attorney general. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Fox News yesterday. Is there sufficient evidence to suggest that impeachment hearings for the attorney general are probable? We'll talk with Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee that has been looking into this, and the chair of the House Republican Study Committee. Last Friday, the director of national intelligence released a declassified report on the links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the COVID-19 pandemic. The information was released based upon the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023 passed by Congress back in March. However, missing from the 10-page report are the declassified findings of the intelligence community. We passed a law saying declassify the information that you have about the COVID and, and uh, Wuhan Labs activities. What they did is they basically went and, and did a paper on what they believe about the, in, the intelligence they've looked at. We want the intelligence released, not their opinion about the intelligence. If we wanted their opinion, we would have asked for it. That was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Mike Turner of Ohio. We'll get the latest from North Carolina Congressman Dr. Greg Murphy a little later here on Washington Watch. And um, brace yourself. Happy Pride. Happy Pride Month. And actually, let's declare it a summer of pride. Happy Summer of Pride. It's so important to have pride as a celebration for our LGBTQI plus community and to recognize how far we have come, but also how much work we have left to do. That was uh, the Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, and uh, he was wearing his admiral's uniform. Now, isn't it interesting? A day has become a month, and now they want the month to be an entire summer. Evil never stands still. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. On a related note, parents in Rockville, Maryland, are rallying outside the Montgomery County Public School Board, demanding it restore parental rights. Now, first, the whole notion that parents should have to demand their rights from a school board reveals just how deeply we have sunk as a nation. But what rights are they demanding be restored to them? Well, Meg Kilgannon joins me a little bit later to explain. And not to be outdone, the United Nations is pushing the LGBTQ agenda themselves, and religious freedom as we know it stands in their way. We have to condemn the wrongful, wrongheaded use of religious beliefs as an excuse for violence or discriminatory denial of the human rights of LGBT persons. That was an interpreter speaking for the UN's independent expert on sexual orientation, Victor Madril Borlos, last week before the United, the United Nations Human Rights Council. We'll talk with Ariel Del Turco, director of the Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council, a little bit later. Our word for today comes from John chapter 6. There is a lad 
here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. You know, when the boy left home that morning, do you really think he was anticipating being used by God to feed the 5,000? But this is how we join with God. We take our little insignificant contribution. We don't hold back thinking of our own wants, but yield what we have to Jesus as he gives us the opportunity to partner with him, the one who can take a bag lunch and feed over 5,000 people. You know what? That's what I call a power lunch. If you'd like to find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, I want to thank all of you who have uh, thus far partnered with the Family Research Council as we come up to the end of our fiscal year. Washington Watch is on the air because of you. We receive no government money. We're all we're here because we're supported by uh, folks like you all across the nation. And thanks to some generous donors who uh, have put forward a $1.5 million matching challenge. If you would like to join with us and partner, your contribution will be doubled. We've got until Friday. So we've got folks standing by to take your call. Give us a call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Or text the word GIVE to 67742. That's the word GIVE to 67742. Well, as I mentioned, questions continue to grow regarding allegations from two IRS whistleblowers that the Justice Department obstructed a criminal investigation into Hunter Biden by U.S. Attorney David Weiss. The whistleblowers told Congress that attempts by Weiss to bring charges against the president's son were blocked by U.S. attorneys appointed by President Biden. Attorney General Merrick Garland claims that Weiss's office had complete autonomy in their investigation. So who is telling the truth, and where will this investigation go from here? Join me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Kevin Hearn. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee that is investigating this. He's also the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Oklahoma. Congressman Hearn, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. All right. So you serve on the House Ways and Means Committee. These uh, you've been looking into this. What questions? Well, first, walk us through these these uh, this growing chorus of voices saying that uh, the attorney general may have perjured himself in his statements. What has brought us to this point? Well, I think it's important also to understand why these IRS whistleblowers came to the Ways and Means Committee, because uh, people think about the Judiciary Committee and oversight, but they came to the Ways and Means because Ways and Means has direct jurisdiction over IRS. And they came forward after they'd gone to their bosses, both the IRS boss and the Department of Justice bosses, and they couldn't get anything done. So they knew this was egregious, uh, what Hunter Biden had been doing, and they wanted someone to know about it. So whistleblower one, uh, Shapley, as we know it, whistleblower two, who has not disclosed his name publicly, uh, brought forward their testimony, seven hours apiece, uh, uh, interrogated, if you will, or questioned, certainly by uh, Republican attorneys and Democrat attorneys in the same room at the same time. And the Democrat attorneys asked for no further witnesses, although there were potentially up to 50 other witnesses that could corroborate their stories. Now, all the Democrats on Ways and Means uh, said this had rushed to justice and all of that. 
But when I questioned them, I'm not being an attorney, I asked the question, did the Democrat attorneys ever ask to, to you know, question any other witnesses? And they did not. Yet the Democrat uh, on Ways and Means voted against this. And this is what is going on right now, a complete weaponization. What we've seen now is that Joe Biden has lied to the American people through the WhatsApp text that was saying that he was sitting right next to his son, both at the beginning of the text and at the end of the text, as Hunter Biden was threatening his Chinese handler, uh, Mr. Z, as he called him. And Joe Biden has said countless times he didn't know anything about it. I guess it's possible he forgot. He forgets a lot. But Merrick Garland also saying that uh, attorney uh, David Weiss had all this free reign and he did not. And this has all been corroborated now. And you've heard the speakers say that we want information coming forward by July 6th. Or we're going to start investigating the impeachment possibilities of Merrick Garland. According to one of the whistleblowers, activity that Hunter Biden was engaged in when his father was vice president back in 2014 and 2015 was put aside and was not a part of the prosecution. Why was that? What did that time period cover? And, and what has this uh, been what has been excluded from the prosecution as a result of that decision? Well, conveniently, they have prolonged and postponed and ignored uh, the Hunter Biden investigation and stymied the investigators, IRS investigators, long enough that the statute of limitations ran out on everything before 2017. So what you saw uh, Hunter Biden plead to was 2017, 2018, paid a measly $100,000. I mean, the things that he did would put people in prison for a long time, and they negotiated this away. The one thing it did do, it further uh, showed that Joe Biden couldn't continue to say that it was a witch hunt. Now that we know that Hunter Biden had received literally millions of dollars from uh, from Ukraine and from China, uh, what the taxes are owed on were on the China. That's still within the, the statute of limitations. And so this gets to be very complicated, but because it came to IRS, we had to clear this through a closed door hearing. And we did that to send it to Jim Jordan and to Jamie Comer for further investigation on the judiciary side and the oversight committees. Again, we have the allegations being made that the U.S. attorney in Delaware was not able to pursue charges against Hunter Biden. In what ways were his hands tied based upon the information that you have gained? Well, he took this to him and took it to a magistrate in D.C. And, and the, he was told there that he could not investigate at uh, Joe Biden's house. Now we know why, because there were classified documents there that would probably have been discovered much earlier. Uh, he went to California trying to uh, have him you know, prosecuted there, it was turned down by a district judge. This across the country, the only place this could happen is that the Department of Justice could shut down in multiple jurisdictions the investigation and, and prosecution of Hunter Biden. And when you look at that and you look at the fact that the IRS leadership was also shutting the whistleblowers down, both of those two organizations report to the president of the United States, Joe Biden. So just to be clear, so the, the attorney general, the U.S. attorney general, David Weiss, in Delaware could not find a prosecutor that would prosecute based upon the evidence that he had. That's correct. And that was testified and confirmed by the IRS as they were continuing to give information, wondering why nothing was being done and were continually being told that they were being shut down on the information. 
when this started getting released, uh, the IRS uh, leadership punished both the whistleblower one and two, removed them from the cases. I think it's important to note, too, for all of your listeners, that Hunter Biden was not the initial target of this. Uh, the initial target of the investigation by the lead supervisor was on a um, on an organization that had pornography and prostitution. And they found this by a linkage of several business people, and one of them being Hunter Biden. And they uh, you know, certainly found out about the laptop, uh, did an investigation and uh, uh, got a warrant to Apple for iCloud information. And on the iCloud storage, they found the WhatsApp text where it had been downloaded. And so this was not anything that could have been orchestrated. This came directly from Apple iCloud. And it said that the, his father was sitting next to him at the beginning of the text and warned him that he needed to come through, meaning Mr. Z in China needed to come through with what he had promised. And his dad reminded him that his dad was sitting next to him again at the end of the text. So they stumbled on this through another investigation, but once they got onto this trail, their investigation was basically shut down by the Department of Justice. That's correct. And I think it's important to note that both of these uh, IRS investigators, because everybody thinks these are political witch hunts, both said, if anything, they were both Democrats. They pointed that out in their testimony. One reported being a, a gay, conservative, uh, Democrat. And they wanted that to be importantly noted because they didn't want this to seem like they were trying to do it in a partisan or a political way. They were doing their investigations as they'd done in normal practices on every other investigation they'd done. Both of these were seasoned investigators over a decade of service, both of them, to the IRS. Kevin, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time. But uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll continue to, to follow this. Folks, stick with us. We're back on the other side of this break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipled 
discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, be sure, and uh, check that out. Well, in a uh, kind of a classic Washington Friday evening news dump, the Biden administration's Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a report on the potential origin of the COVID-19 pandemic as required by the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023, which was signed by the president back in March. Now, Rather than releasing the actual intelligence, which the law called for, uh, the office merely released their opinion about the intelligence, according to Congressman Mike Turner, the chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Now, is this the, uh, the sort of transparency that this administration promised? Join me now to discuss this is Congressman Greg Murphy, who is a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Veterans Affairs Committee, and the House Administration Committee. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of North Carolina. Dr. Murphy, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you. Nice to see you, Tony. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing good. Thank you. So remind us about exactly what the COVID Act of 2023, the Origin Act, did. It basically, Tony said, we needed to look into the origins. We need transparency. We need to delve into the reason that over a million Americans died and see what the true origins of this were. You know, during uh, the Pelosi era, uh, there was nothing done. Nothing. Nobody did anything about where did this come from, asking questions that uh, pretty much Fauci, Fauci and his colleagues got a got a free ride from. They were just they didn't question what they were uh, that they were saying about the origins of COVID. So it was a bipartisan, bicameral uh, uh, bill signed by the president. He got forced to sign it, really, to look into why were we uh, the way we were? Why did we just basically destroy our country in so many ways, the economies, the educational systems, and who is culpable? And uh, without, uh, you know, going on further, Tony, the, the eyes have been squarely on uh, Fauci, on the Wuhan Institute from day one despite all their other stories to make you look elsewhere. Um, in my mind, and I've said this a thousand times, um, in my mind, it came from that lab via a leak. 
And um, with now with all the scientific communities, and as you pointed out, a Friday night news dump, pretty much I think that's consensus opinion. Real question is, what are we gonna do about it? Well, in the 10-page report, uh, as Mike Turner pointed out, it's more of a summary of what they think the intelligence is as opposed to what the intelligence actually was to give you as members of Congress the opportunity to to look through that because there were differing opinions on the origins and, and, and how it did get leaked. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Tony, one thing that really disappeared during COVID is the fact that, you know, physicians and scientists can have differing opinions. Hence the old term, second opinion. But since uh, Fauci took it over on about day five, when immediately everybody was pointing to the Wuhan lab, and it was like immediate suddenly, whoa, we can't do this because it's going to point back at us and Echo Alliance and all the funding that the NIH has given. It was basically one person and one opinion telling you what, quote, science was in that famous interview that he was science. And so, right. yeah, I'm sure there were differing opinions with this. But whenever they would come out with a report, it would be a consensus. It doesn't mean everybody agrees, but it was mean the general consensus of the review board that this is what the facts were. This is what happened. And I think that's what we're finding out with so many agencies now, um, not only you know in our government, but other watchdog agencies. So based on that, uh, well, there's a couple of things here. Number one, remember when those who raised this issue that it, it came from the lab, that that was the, uh, the prob most probable explanation that they were censored by social media. So let's not forget yeah. that, that these were the conspiracy theorists who were right. putting this forward. Now we know that that is, in fact, fact. Yep. But the... Um, when you look at the, and again, you're getting a summary, you're not getting the actual intelligence. What do we know about the genetic makeup of this virus? Was it engineered? Was this a part of the, uh, the gain of function that we had uh, been looking at or been hearing about that Fauci was funding? In my opinion, uh, uh, Tony, it was absolutely gain of function. And gain of function, if we just can remove ourselves from the pandemic, the purpose of gain of function research was to try to predict things that could possibly happen in nature so that we would stay ahead of those, stay ahead of those things. So in theory, gain of function is good research. The problem is the Wuhan lab was an absolute disastrous uh, SL4 lab, one of these ones that are supposed to be so um, so tight and so leak proof and the Chinese made shoddy construction and everything else. And so what, what we know now is that there were certain, and uh, the gal from, uh, the Chinese gal who came out of that lab proved it in, I don't, I can't remember if it was JAMA or in the New England Journal of which uh, article, proved the genetic code on how it was made and how it did come from that lab. And so, you know, of course she was silenced as were several other scientists that came from, uh, you know, Hopkins and some of the other institutions that really brought up, hey, look, this absolutely looks like gain-of-function research. So we saw the silencing of uh, differing opinions, as was has been the evidence, the case during this entire administration. Look, we saw it with Biden and the IRS and everything else last week. So the fact that we're actually now coming out with true science and breaking through is really a, uh, a thing of uh, which that should receive thunderous applause. So what were they hiding? Was this all to save face? Was this yeah. to, I mean, why, I mean, what was this all about? What was driving this at the very ba at the very foundation? I think two things, Tony, two things is that the uh, NIH funded this lab, number one, 
They went through Eco Alliance and uh, they paid to fund this lab. The second, I think, and and that's you know, I don't say that's nefarious. I say that's what they're supposed to be doing. Supposedly, uh, the Wuhan lab is separate from the Chinese Communist Party. But you know, anything in China is always subservient to the Chinese Communist Party. The second may be a little bit more theoretical and pure. It was in the pursuit of science. It was actually intended to do a good thing to save us if, God forbid, there were certain uh, variants and mutants that came up out of this very, very infectious virus to try to predict it ahead of time. The problem was um, Fauci's not a person who tolerates being questioned very well. He doesn't like his authority questioned very well. He's been in, uh, excuse me, in governmental medicine for greater than 40 years. And he's risen to the pinnacle of what they term one of the great scientific institutions. So he didn't want there any to be any crack in what his decision-making processes were. But in fact, there should have been cracks. There should have been questions allowed. And he honestly um, has destroyed so much trust in medicine from the American public. I mean, I'm a physician. I still practice. I right. hear these things. Well, we don't trust the government anymore. And I lay that precisely at his feet. I, I, I would agree. Government must be accountable. Congressman, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks right. so much for joining us, and we'll continue to, to find out uh, what we can with the information oh, we yeah. have. Folks, stick with us. We're back with more after this. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. And again, if you'd like to partner with us as, as we are coming up to the end of our fiscal year, which is this Friday, um, we'd love to have you uh, partner with us to ensure that Washington Watch and our work in Washington, D.C. continues. 
You can text the word GIVE to 67742. That's the word GIVE to 67742. Or give us a call. We've got folks taking, standing by to take your call, 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. Well, I tell you what, uh, we, we, a lot of information in today's program, and we quite frankly don't have enough time to cover everything. But to uh, Congressman Murphy's point when we were talking about the the government it's the accountability, and that's the problem we have in this administration. Is the problem we had with Dr. Fauci, is they don't want to be accountable to the to the American people, and that's why so many members of Congress are raising issue over this report that was released by the director of the Department of Intelligence, uh, uh, the uh, intelligence um, information that was released on Friday. Is that it is not the intelligence, it is not the declassified intelligence. It's just their opinions. And someone has to hold them accountable. So we'll continue to see if they dig deeper. I know some members are really, really upset about this. All right, so uh, more. Moving on, a recent report presented at the 53rd session of the United Nations Human Rights Council is raising alarms concerning religious freedom and belief. Now, in addition to criticizing traditional values, public morals, and national values, the report also says religious institutions should consider how Uh, they will be held responsible for not adopting and yielding to LGBT ideology. Now, is the U.N. ready to demand that religious beliefs and traditions must be subservient to the LGBT ideology? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Ariel Del Turco, director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council, who has a report on this topic at the Washington Stand. Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. All right, so what additional information can you give us about this report? How significant is it? And this independent expert, uh, what type of influence does he have with the United Nations? Sure. So this independent expert was presenting a report to the U.N. uh, Human Rights Council. And essentially, this is supposed to inform U.N. human rights policy and, by extension, the human rights policies of all the member states of the United Nations. And that includes uh, the United States. It includes the Biden administration. And for anyone who thinks that whatever happens at the U.N. doesn't quite matter, I think we would be mistaken because looking at this, report, I see a lot of echoes in what the Biden administration is doing abroad uh, that seem to be echoing the priorities and concerns of this independent expert at the U.N. who has shown no regard for religious freedom and is simply there to advance LGBT policies around the world. Yeah, that's what we've seen historically with liberal administrations. They use the State Department to push this internationally, as as you actually have a report on that and how the Biden administration has been pushing out the LGBTQ uh, ideology. It goes around back to the United Nations, and then the United Nations uses it to push out on other nations. So it's like this vicious circle that we are in. Let's talk a little bit about these connection points with religious freedom and how this LGBT uh, ideology that's being pushed by this independent expert at the United Nations, how is that endangering religious freedom? So this report was supposedly meant to talk about how religious freedom can be compatible with so-called LGBT rights. But essentially what this report asserted is that 
Oh, some parts of religious communities get this issue right because they interpret their religious beliefs in a way that affirms LGBT identities, that affirms uh, LGBT family structures. Uh, so really what that says to me is that he doesn't see how religious freedom can be compatible with his vision for quote-unquote LGBT rights. And at every turn, he is expecting uh, not LGBT persons to just accept that some people don't agree with their lifestyle, but he is expecting that religious communities will bend and change even their doctrine uh, to accommodate these, uh, this LGBT ideology. Uh, he goes on to talk about how um, talking about sin in the context of LGBT lifestyles uh, is actually a form of hate speech and incitement to violence. Uh, this is a harsh crackdown on religious freedom. Yeah, one uh, one quote is to he, he has in here in the report to leave and sometimes be forced to leave a religious community because of exclusionary practices or teaching can have significant implications for identity and spiritual well-being. That would suggest that uh, religious entities, Christian, that that hold to a biblical teaching of sexual uh, ethics uh, and biblical morality are a problem. And they need to change their teaching in order to accommodate the LGBTQ lifestyle. Right. And that quote actually goes on to state that uh, not affirming LGBT identities could actually uh, cause someone to commit suicide. So just like uh, leftists and progressive views on the transgender issue in the United States, we see them using this suicide myth on a massive scale across the world to say, to tell religious communities that if you don't affirm LGBT ideology uh, in every possible way, you're actually going to cause these people a lot of harm, potentially even provoke them to suicide. This is a radical suggestion, and it is beneath even uh, even the status of the UN to even promote this as... Uh, right. But in reality, when you tell them the truth, you have the potential of actually saving their soul because it is the truth that sets us free. Uh, Ariel, thanks so much for joining us. And your, uh, your article on this is at the Washington Stands. Folks, you can also find it at TonyPerkins.com. Ariel, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back after the break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. 
You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. All right, there is, uh, Ariel has actually written a piece that is up at uh, the Washington Stand. If you'd like to, uh, to read it, it goes into much more detail over the U.N. expert on sexual orientation and gender identity, which is, I mean, he's, an, he's, he's a part of the United Nations. And uh, they, they say independent expert, but he's, he's a part of their, he's an appendage of the United Nations, basically parroting what they want him to say. And, uh, and so, I mean, it really does put religious freedom in the crosshairs when you look at, and I saw this actually when I was, uh, chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, this push increasingly. In fact, e- even within the commission, I had to push back on this repeatedly uh, because there were those that want to basically, um, as Ariel was saying, force religion to change its teachings and its beliefs rather than tell the LGBTQ community to back off. I mean, think about that for a moment. Religious, every Orthodox religious body has seen uh, homosexuality for what it is for millennia, but yet they're the ones that are expected to change, something that's just been accepted publicly in the last decade or two. Uh, Speaking of that, um, I, I played this clip at the top of the program, but I want to play this uh, again because I, I want you to see the the effect of elections. Elections have consequences, and Rachel Levine, who is the uh, Biden appointed, he now masquerading as a she, um, was chosen by President uh, Biden. You know, basically not for qualifications, but because of uh, the movement that uh, he represents as the uh, the assistant secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Play that clip again of 
Rachel Levine. Happy Pride. Happy Pride Month. And actually, let's declare it a summer of pride. Happy Summer of Pride. It's so important to have pride as a celebration for our LGBTQI plus community and to recognize how far we have come, but also how much work we have left to do. We have a lot of work to do uh, to clean up, to move this nation back to some form of moral footing. This is, the, again, folks, I just want to underscore, you, you think you can, we, we can hide from this, that somehow it's not coming to our communities? This is being pushed from the highest levels of government. And, and they're not just, um, you know, making suggestions. They are pushing this with the full weight of the government. And, and I mean, you just, you heard him. You know, we don't want a pride month. We want the summer of pride, the summer of Sodom essentially what they're calling for. And it, don't think it'll stop there. And, and they will force every American, every American family to celebrate it. We see that happening. This is permeating every level of society. In fact, even today, at this moment, as we speak, parents in Rockville, Maryland, are gathered outside of the school board demanding their rights now, just think about that statement for a moment. We've, we've come to kind of just accept it, that people are demanding their rights. But here, here are parents literally demanding their rights to opt their children out of indoctrination when it comes to the LGBTQ ideology that's being pushed throughout our entire school system. I mean, think about that for a moment. Parents having to protest for their rights to protect their own children. That is how pervasive this agenda has become and how they have used the levers of government to push this. Well, join me now to, uh, to discuss this and more is Meg Kilgannon. She is a senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council and a former member of the Trump Department of Education. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to see you, Tony. Well, good to see you. All right, so fill us in on what's happening in Rockville, Maryland. Well, uh, Montgomery County Public Schools, like you said, um, did have an opt-out policy for parents. If you did not want to have your children confronted with sexually explicit material or sex educational material, you could opt them out. And um, that, that, that policy, that ability to opt out was removed for lessons that were deemed to be about inclusion. Um, and so students will now be read, even children in kindergarten will be read books about gender identity, books about uh, LGBT issues, um, books about um, race that include oppressor, oppress narratives around race where people are put into boxes that, you, you know, you're, you don't get to pick your box, you're assigned a box and you will stay in it. That's the problem that parents have with those kinds of books. Um, and so that opt-out for that material is is not going to apply because everyone needs to be included, they say, except for the so Christian it, and religious it, parents who object to the material, right? We're not included. Right. Yeah, the, the, their, their concerns are not uh, taken into account. Right. 
is what has happened here, Meg, is that this type of instruction has become so pervasive and has permeated every aspect of the classroom that in reality you can't opt kids out because they wouldn't be going to school. No, I think that is exactly their point, right? They, they, that is exactly the reason that they are offering these lessons in this way. And we, um, in, in this area in Loudoun County, for example, we saw this with, um, with diversity, equity, and inclusion classroom libraries in the 2015, 2016, 2017 era, where they were having books for the classroom bookshelf that were going to be about all of these topics that are very controversial in nature, um, and that they would be on offer in, in the classroom so that when the child finishes your assignment and you're waiting for everyone else to finish, a lot of times the teacher will say, go get a book. And so the child gets a book and parents don't know which books their children are reading. You're, it's an act of trust that you're, you're not, your kids aren't going to be confronted by anything disturbing or ideological in that setting. Well, that trust has been broken and it gets broken over and over and over and over again. And we see the political ramifications of this now. Yeah. Uh, first, I, I want to draw a distinction. Uh, an opt out is actually a, a, a minimal, minimal yeah. protection for parents. It, it really should be. And we've advocated and, and, and have actually seen some parents successfully do this is an opt in where the onus then is on the school system and not the parents. They have to get the parents permission to teach this, not uh, have the parent get the permission of the school not to teach their child something that's objectionable. And oftentimes those uh, opt-outs, you know, they never get home and parents right. never actually see them. And so their silence is taken as approval to go ahead and indoctrinate their children. Well, there are plenty of, of subjects that require express written parental permission. Um, that you can't join the band in high school, for example, without your parents' permission, or you certainly can't take a take a, a, a music lesson that requires an instrument rental in elementary school without your parents' permission, right? There are certain classes that require the written consent of the parent, and this is a very reasonable thing to obtain. Schools obtain it all the time. And in cases like this, when they just want, they want everybody to have this, this instruction, right? They, they are morally compelled by their set of morals to make sure that our children are getting this material. And so all of a sudden in those cases, the express written permission is, is too onerous a process to go through. Yeah. And so they, they don't want to offer it. So I, I, in a moment, I want to get to some solutions here, but but I want to unpack this Montgomery County situation just a little bit more, because this is not just Christian parents, but we actually have Muslim parents lining up with Christian parents. How have the Montgomery County officials responded to this, knowing that it's not just conservative Christians who are objecting to this material? Well, they um, didn't allow parents to come to the school board meeting, and they said that it was due to safety concerns, quote-unquote. So you can imagine if, if a school board cited um, safety concerns, if it was a Republican-majority school board that cited safety concerns with an all-Muslim um, protest group, you can imagine the sort of um, conclusions that would be drawn from that kind of activity. But in this case, because because Montgomery County, Maryland is run by mostly the Democratic Party. That's a that's a statement they can make. Um, 
And it was a, of course, it was a peaceful crowd. Um, these parents are are not. Most parents have things they'd rather be doing at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon than going to the school board to protest for their rights and to protect their children from people that they shouldn't have to protect their children from. But this is the situation that we find ourselves in. And so to be called a danger and not to even be allowed in the building just adds insult to injury. Right. But these parents well organized outside and and. Um, made their wishes known. They want the opt-out back. And it's really not that big of an ask. To, to, to your point about how the this Democratic administration gets away with um, pretty much anything, Montgomery County Council member Kristen Mink said that the Muslim parents are aligned with white supremacists. I mean, this is, I mean, how, how do you even get away with such statements? If, if this was, as you said, if this were a conservative Republican council, there's no way. Right. They could have done this. Well, and, you know, it's no wonder that parents don't want people with that kind of mentality reading books to their children about race, right? They clearly are confused about this topic and are unable to see the dignity of every human person, regardless of your skin color or anything else. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite a commentary on many levels. But this is, you know, this is the kind of, of I, I wonder if these people are going to be on the SPLC hate list next year because they have dared to question the authority of their school board to speak about everything that is right and good for children um, and to raise their voices in alarm. Uh, I would not be surprised one bit. Let's talk about solutions here, Meg Kilgannon, because this is an issue, as I've been looking at uh, some recent polling data, next to inflation in the economy, education and the well-being of our children ranks up there at the top of concerns of parents as we move into the 2024 election. This is the byproduct of elections. We wouldn't be having these conversations, as I was talking about earlier uh, with this Rachel Levine. Uh, This wouldn't be an issue if we didn't have a liberal, uh, uh, let me take that back. He's not liberal. He's a leftist Democrat running this country, pushing this horrific agenda on the American people. So elections have consequences. What do parents do? I mean, I I think parents, they have to, number one, be affirmed in their authority and responsibility to care for and protect their children, not wait for government to say, oh, these are your children. Uh, You have a right to protect them. We need to demand that right and just assume it and take it. Absolutely. And you'll recall very recently the president said, you know, these are our children. And he said it in relation to a pride event. Um, so they they have the idea that children are somehow the property of the state or, um, you know, the property of the community. Certainly every nation values their children as the 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 future right these are the children who are going to grow up to in, inherit the the progress that we've made so far and to build on that and to strive toward a more perfect union so um There's not really a debate on that topic, but the idea that parents do not exert full authority over their own children is quite something else entirely. So it is really important for parents to understand that you're you're not a valued partner in this situation in a lot of cases. You really need to be an obstacle. You you really need to be the most important person in your child's life um, if you can 
get alternative arrangements for your child's schooling, whether it's homeschooling or some sort of private school or micro school or something like that, that would be the, the a really smart choice right now. But if you cannot do that, you need to be engaged at your school system. And right. even if you can pull your children out, you cannot leave the system because there are no, children there right. who need your protection as well. We, we, we need parents who are running for the school board. We need young people who are going into the profession of teaching into the public schools yes. who are well grounded in their faith and understanding and with boldness and uh, with courage being backed by the local church. Uh, we need to take this territory back, but not with our children. We need to protect our children uh, from the th- this this uh, ideology that seeks to ensnare them and destroy them. And we need to take it on uh, head on. Meg Kilgannon, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Always good to see you. Thanks for having me, Tony. And by the way, folks, we have resources available at FRC Action. Uh, information there about school boards, how to how to run for the school board. In fact, we have a school board boot camp uh, that Meg was a part of uh, of teaching, and we'll be doing more of that as we move into the election season. But he, here's the bottom line: parents, these children are yours. God gave them to you, and what we see from this government now, they may say they're not Marxists, but they share a lot in common with the Marxists because the Marxists see the family as a problem. And they see orthodox religion as a problem. And guess what? That's what this administration sees as a problem. That's what the left in this country sees as a problem. And they want to remove it. They want to remove the rights of parents. And they want to confine religion to the four walls of a church at best. But we're not going to let them do that, are we? Because we're going to keep standing. So I leave you with those words from the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6 when he says, when we've done everything we can do, when we've prayed, when we've prepared, and when we've taken our stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 